Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew chapter 13, starting to read at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire... So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Penny, thank you very much for reading. Do keep that uh, Bible passage open in front of you as uh, we are looking through these um, parables in Matthew chapter 13. We started a few weeks ago, and if this is your first week here, well, this will stand alone. It it will still make sense, uh, so keep the Bible open in front of you, if you will. And then I'm going to pray that uh, God would speak to us through uh, the Bible as we look at it together now. So let let me pray. 
We've sung, Heavenly Father, that uh, your word is urgent and we pray we would see something of the urgency of the uh, biggest issues that uh, we could ever deal with tonight. We ask too that uh, as we've been singing that uh, you would test each of our thoughts. May we have open hearts and minds as we look at your word. And we pray as we've been singing that when there's a tempting choice to doubt or delay a response, we would not go that tempting way, but rather would hear your voice and respond immediately. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm with you. I don't know whether you're into uh, watching the news. I know uh, people don't do it as much as they used to. I, I tend to watch it at least once a day. Uh, but uh, I'm not entirely sure why I do it regularly. It makes me feel sad, really sad. Uh, not just because I've had enough hearing about Brexit, and that seems to be the only news item uh, these days, but because watching the news leaves me confronted with the, the terrible wickedness and evil in the world. So you've probably seen these things as well. This week I've heard on the news that sexual offences on trains are up this year by 16%. British Transport Police recorded 2,472 sexual offences last year on trains. Uh, I've also heard there's been news of domestic abuse. People attacked by those they've chosen to share their lives with. He's nowhere safe. And two different stories of police officers being injured. Uh, Four police officers stabbed by two men in London. Another man charged with attempted murder after driving a car at a police officer in Leicester. I could go on. You you watch the news as well as I do. Uh, And then there, of course, there are stories that never make the news. So at our church family prayer meeting this week, we prayed for the persecuted church in Libya, where Christians suffer just because they bear the name of Christ. Christians who who attempt to share their faith publicly run the risk of arrest and violence. All this is nothing new, of course. It happened to Jesus and it's happened to his followers ever since. But when that does happen, when we see evil and wickedness in the world, we are bound to ask why. Now that is one of the big questions at the heart of the parable that we're looking at today. It comes in verse 27. Let me read again from verse 24, uh, just so we get the flow. But look at verse 27 as we get there. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weed among the wheat and then went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir... Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Do you see the question? Why is the world in the mess it's in? Where did this evil come from? If you're a good God who made a good world, why this? Now look, that is a deep theological question that needs to be looked at from a number of angles and clearly we can't deal with it all fully this evening. It's such a big question. But Jesus gets to the heart of the issue in this very parable. Verse 28, Jesus says, an enemy did this. 
Now, this is one of the parables that um, is easier to understand, although it's not straightforward, but it's easier to understand because Jesus gives his disciples an interpretation of it in verses 36 to 43. Unfortunately, if you have a church Bible, it's over the page, so we're going to be flipping back and forth. But um, as we turn to uh, the interpretation, we clearly discover here who the enemy is. We don't have to guess. So flip over the page and look at verse 38 with me, where Jesus says... The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom, that is Christians, people who want to follow Jesus. And the weeds, verse 38, the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Now there it is then, the enemy is the devil, that's what Jesus says, and it is the devil who's sown wickedness and wicked seed into God's world. Now, for sure, this raises more theological questions. Where did the devil come from? The Bible answers that question, but this parable doesn't, so I won't go into it now. But if you want to talk to me afterwards, I'll happily take you through that. But this parable does tell us why the world is in the mess it's in. And the answer is because there is a real devil who is in real opposition to God. Evil is not imagined. We see it all around us. And there is someone behind it all. We see it as we watch the news. The work of the devil causes havoc in God's world. But again, you see, that raises another question. Why doesn't God do something about it? That is my longing when I watch the news headlines, and I know it's the question that many people have. I've been asked that question by unbelievers and believers alike. When something terrible happens, people ask, why? Why did God allow it? Why doesn't he stop it? We're sure to ask that question when Christians are trying to tell people about Jesus and they suffer for it. I mean, we'll ask it any time, but does that not seem to be the most perplexing? Here are Christians trying to serve you, Lord, and then they're suffering as they share the gospel, like the Christians we were praying for in Libya at the prayer meeting this week. When that happens, you're bound to ask, why doesn't God just get rid of all the evil in the world? That is the question raised in verse 28. Sorry, back to the parable on the other page. See, in the parable, the master explains to the servants that the evil weeds are in the world because of the enemy, the devil, and the servants who Jesus tells us in verse 39 are the angels. The servants, the angels, ask the question, verse 28, do you want us to go and pull them up? Shall we get rid of the evil, get shot of it, uproot evil from the world? And everything in us, well, at least everything in me, is saying, yes, That would be terrific. Get rid of the evil in the world. Just in the last couple of months, I've been made aware of a number of extremely sad situations that people in this very church family have shared with me. I feel privileged that people feel able to trust me with such personal information. But I feel so sad to know the burden and pain that people here, friends, are living with right now. People in this room. In this broken and sinful, evil world, people among us are suffering terribly. And so when I hear this question in verse 28, when the angels ask the Lord, do you want us to go and pull up the weeds, get rid of the evil? I am longing for the Lord to say yes. Wouldn't it be wonderful to wake up every morning and the world would be right? Turn the news on every day and all that we heard was good story after glorious happy news all the way through the news at 10. No bad news to report ever. 
I long for the angels to be sent out by God to get rid of the weeds, to uproot evil from this world. But that is not the answer the owner of the field gives us. Verse 28, do you want us to go and pull up the weeds, get rid of the evil? Verse 29, no. It's a perplexing answer, isn't it? And especially when Christians are the ones suffering at the hands of evil. Uh, That, of course, is the context here. In chapter 10, Jesus has sent out his disciples into the world to tell people about his kingdom. He sent them, uh, and as he sent them, he warned them that they'd be arrested and flogged and imprisoned and killed. That all comes in chapter 10. And it was so. In chapters 11 and 12, the responses to Jesus are hostile. And then, of course, as the years go on, many of Jesus' disciples were arrested and flogged and imprisoned and killed. And that has been the case throughout the history of the world and the church in the last 2,000 years. In fact, did you know that there were more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than in all the previous 19 centuries combined? We try and tell people about Jesus. We do the work of spreading the message of the kingdom of heaven. We tell people about Jesus, obeying his command to make disciples of all nations, and yet so few people become Christians, and we're rejected. And for many Christians, that rejection means significant suffering just because they tell others about Jesus. That, of course, is precisely why Jesus is telling these parables He's telling us that is what it's like in God's kingdom. See verse 24, the kingdom of heaven is like this parable. Working for the kingdom of heaven, we're sure to wonder why God doesn't rid this world of all evil, why he doesn't send out his angels to pull up the weeds. And verse 29 tells us why. See, the angels say, should we go and pull up the weeds? Verse 29, no, says the owner of the world, don't pull up the weeds, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Now, if you've been here these last weeks, you'll know that I'm a complete buffoon when it comes to gardening. I like pottering around in my greenhouse, but I really don't have a clue what I'm doing. Uh, But as I came to this week's parable, I thought, now I'm on safe ground. Weeds. I know all about weeds, not just because I am one, but because I know they are bad and you're supposed to pull them up. Every gardener knows the frustration of weeds, just like the parable. You don't plant them, you put good plants into the garden, but somehow the weeds are always there. I know about about weeds, you pull them up, but no. It is not that straightforward. First, weeds can look very much like plants, or maybe the other way around. Plants look very much like weeds. Weeds and plants look the same. Jesus makes exactly that point in this parable. It doesn't come out clearly here, but in the original, the weeds are darnel. And as darnel grows, it initially looks like wheat. It's hard to tell the weeds from the wheat. In my enthusiasm to rid our borders of weeds, I have pulled things up only for Caroline to tell me that I've just pulled up a perfectly healthy plant. On occasions, I've even pulled up plants that she had planted over the week, only the week before. <laughs> Weeding the garden is not as straightforward as it seems. But not just because weeds and wheat look the same, that is dealt with here, but because when weeds are growing alongside wheat, and this is actually the problem Jesus addresses in verse 29, When weeds and wheat are growing in the same field, if you pull up the darnel, their root systems can be so completely entwined with the root systems of the wheat. So as you pull up the darnel, you pull up the wheat as well. 
This parable brilliantly describes the world we live in. Evil and wickedness completely entwined with goodness and kindness in this world. They live so closely together in the world that you can't uproot one without the other being affected. Now look, I'm going to give you an illustration of this, although that is the, what I'm going to say now is not the point in the parable. I'll come on to the point in the parable. I'm just going to make an illustration. And to do that, let me be autobiographical for a moment so that we can just see how goodness and evil are enmeshed together. In my best moments, I am capable of acts of kindness and generosity and compassion and thoughtfulness. In my best moments, I can have genuine care for the marginalized and weak and downtrodden of society. But there is another side to me, a side which most of you never see, although I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't had a glimpse of it, a side which causes me to despair of myself. Because I can be the most selfish and thoughtless and stingy person who says unkind things and thinks murky thoughts. On occasions, I don't care a jot about all those who are poverty-stricken and who suffer such horrendous circumstances in the world. There is in me great good because I'm made in the image of God and there is in me great evil because I'm a fallen, sinful human being. And while this parable isn't talking about the enigma that is every one of us, that is not the point of the parable, and I'll come on to this in a moment. Still, looking at ourselves illustrates the issue in this parable. Just as good and evil is intertwined in us, it is running right through the world. I'll give you another illustration, just so we get it. Take the internet. It can be used for such good crowdfunding to raise huge sums of money to help people, passing on important information to millions, bringing enjoyment through social media. The internet is a terrific thing but you don't need me to spell out the wickedness of the internet from the way we waste hours of time on it to the 68 million searches that are made every day for pornography, every day, 68 million, to the terrorist activity that is plotted through the internet. Great good intertwined with great evil. One more illustration, take politics. We might be fed up to the back teeth with Brexit. We might feel that we don't trust politicians as far as we can throw them. The way the economy has been managed, along with the MPs' expensive scan expenses scandals of a few, week a few years back. All that might have left us feeling very cynical about politics. But great good is done through politics and politicians. Many politicians are hard-working people who have a real desire to bring good and lasting change in education and social welfare and prison reform and the health service. And You know, I could go on and on. The point is to illustrate what Jesus is saying here in this parable, namely that the root systems of evil in this world are wrapped around the good and the best. And if you uproot the evil, you pull up the good with it. Doesn't this brilliantly illustrate our, our world? If you get rid of the internet, all the good aspects go with it too. But again, let me say this carefully, that is, not, that is not the point here. That is just by way of illustration to see the point. And as we turn on to Jesus' explanation of the parable, then we really see what the wheat and the weeds represent. So turn over the page again to verse 38 and we'll see who the wheat and the weeds are that Jesus is reluctant to pull up. Verse 38. 
we've said this already, that the field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Now let's get this very clear. The sons of the kingdom are everyone who follows Jesus. The sons of the evil one is everyone who is not a Christian. Please note it is binary. There are two categories and not three. There are those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And those who don't are described right through the Bible as evil. Now, I need to stop here because if we go any further and haven't got this clear, we could, this could be so badly misunderstood. Please remember that I've already said very clearly that my own life is a confusing mixture of being capable of great acts of kindness and yet of doing and thinking terrible wickedness. So please hear me. I am not saying, and the Bible does not say, that Christians are good people and unbelievers are only capable of evil all the time. I know many unbelievers who are generous and thoughtful and kind towards their fellow man. Yet, throughout the Bible, there is this binary distinction. Two categories of people only. And here in verse 38, those two categories are described as those who follow Jesus are the sons of the kingdom and those who don't, sons of the evil one. And that is because the greatest evil in the world is to fail to acknowledge God as God. That is the great sin of the devil and therefore anyone who follows him. Wanting to usurp God. Wanting to live apart from God. Wanting to call the shots in my life. Wanting to push God out of the picture. Wanting to be God, basically. I'll make up the rules and I'll live my life my way. I want to be God. And that is the problem with all those who don't want to follow Jesus Christ. They are saying to God, I don't want you in my life. I don't recognize my rebellion against you. And frankly, even if I do recognize it, it's not something that needs to be addressed. One way or another, it is saying to Jesus, butt out, leave me alone, thanks but no thanks. It is saying to the Lord of all creation who gives me life and who gives me every breath I take, it is saying to him, Get out of my life. And that is the greatest evil in the world. Indeed, that is the root of all evil. That is what the devil is about, the enemy of God. And he has sown that desire to live without God throughout God's world. And so anyone who lives like that, ignoring God, wanting nothing to do with his son... Anyone who lives like that is, verse 38, a son of the evil one. Now, that all might sound very harsh, but when we think about it, listen, listen to the great kindness of God in this parable. Because goodness and evil is so entwined in this world... And because that means when God does finally send his angels to root up all evil, it will mean a final day of judgment and reckoning for billions of people. Because that day will be a day when anyone who doesn't follow Jesus will be doomed for eternity. Because of that, God in his kindness is patient. 
Even though billions of people shun him day after day, even though Christians are persecuted as they try to tell people about Jesus, even though that is happening and it breaks God's heart, he is patient and wants people to have a chance to return to him in repentance of faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he doesn't send his angels to root out evil yet. Do you see, isn't it kind of God? We, we long for evil to be dealt with. When I watch the news, I'm longing for it to be done with. But God doesn't root it out so that more and more people can turn to Jesus Christ. How kind. And of course, that is the context of this whole chapter. Matthew chapter 10 onwards is all about telling others about Jesus. In this very chapter, in chapter 13, Jesus is speaking to a huge crowd of thousands of people. The whole chapter is about telling as many people as possible in any way we can about the kingdom of heaven. That's why God doesn't deal with evil in the world right now to give more people time to respond to Jesus. How kind of him to wait. So as I've been looking at this, I've got to say I'm so pleased that the angels were not sent out to harvest the world before the 25th of March, 1983. Which sounds like a long time ago to some of you. You weren't even born. But I was born then, and I was a 20-year-old, living my life without Jesus Christ. And had God not waited patiently, had he sent the angels out in 1982, I would have faced judgment, rightly so. How kind of God to wait. Thank you, Lord. And so this parable tells me that every day, every day of him patiently waiting is a day when we should be proclaiming. He is waiting for one reason only, that more people become Christians, so we need to be getting on and telling people about the glorious kingdom of heaven so that they can repent and believe and become, as it says here, sons of the kingdom. And then as we look on to the end of the parable, we really should feel the need and urgency to do just that. See, Jesus says, yeah, there will be a day when what we long for, for this all evil to be uprooted, for the weeds to be pulled up, there will be a day when that will happen. Halfway through verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, the pain of punishment, gnashing of teeth, absolute endless regret. This is not easy to hear, but... But we must see what's going on here. Here is the most loving man who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ, telling us clearly that there is a day of reckoning, there is a day of judgment to come. He doesn't talk like this because he's a vindictive, cruel dictator. He longs for people to turn to him. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. He talks like this because it's loving to know the truth. It's loving to know the danger we're in. It's right to know. If there's a great danger ahead, you, need to, you have the right to know it. Indeed, it would be cruel to pretend that everything's okay if it isn't. So here is the most loving man who ever lived, speaking in these terms, not to frighten us, but to tell us how it is. 
And, and of course, when we think about it, judgment is necessary. This kind of judgment of rooting out all evil is necessary if there is to be a wonderful future kingdom. Unless all evil is rooted out, how could the new heavens and the new earth be the perfect place that we long for? And that's where we started. That is what we long for. That's why we're so perturbed by the evil we see in the world. Why when I watch the news at 10, I, I feel so down so often. We do want God to root out evil, which he will do one day. Isn't that wonderful to think of? You see, on that day when all evil is dealt with, then, verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. We have a a beautiful, brilliant future to look forward to. But now we must see every day as an opportunity. A further opportunity to tell people about Jesus so that they too have this wonderful, great, brilliant future to look forward to as well. God has patiently waited and given us today so that we can tell more and more people about the kingdom of his son. So in every way we can, let's tell everyone we can about the wonderful kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Well, let me just leave a moment of silence. We, uh, we sang about the tempting choice of doubting or delay. Maybe delay is the thing. We'll, we'll put it off. We won't tell people. Why don't we pray about that in the silence? We sung about God's urgent word. Maybe we need to ask him to show us just how urgent it is that we get on with this task. A moment of silence. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your wonderful kindness in delaying, in waiting, in patiently waiting. When we look at the, the state of the world, we long for Uh, evil to be uprooted and taken out of this world and if we feel it how much more you a holy God so we thank you you're patient and we pray that we would see your patience as giving us opportunity to go and proclaim and so we pray not even tomorrow but today if we get chance we, 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 we take it and if there is a tomorrow if the Lord Jesus doesn't return tonight, then tomorrow morning may we get up and say we're going to take it, the opportunity for the day. Give us the urgency we need. Help us not to doubt or delay. Help us to be those who do your will for your praise and glory. Amen.